This is the Tech Arts Podcast, where we talk about tech, leadership, and all things that concern church audio, video, and lighting. Welcome to the Tech Arts Podcast. My name is DL. So glad to have you joining us today. We are now broadcasting from the phone live streaming studios. So good to have phone live streaming as a new partner of the podcast. This is a cool product that can solve many of your streaming issues. Phone live streaming allows you to reach those without internet or people who have trouble with tech. It even helps you easily do alternate languages for those watching online. We will be giving a full demo of the product today, but if you want to get a jump start on finding out about them, go to phonelivestreaming.com. Hey, if this podcast is helping you, be sure to tell a friend about it. All you have to do is give them the website tech artspodcast.com and ask them to subscribe to either the podcast or the YouTube channel. If you listen on a regular basis and you haven't subscribed, be sure to subscribe. It'll help you get notified whenever a new episode drops and it will keep you updated and informed of any free giveaways that may happen. Again, that website is techartspodcast.com. I am so excited about today's podcast. Not only are we going to talk to you about phone live streaming, but we have Justin Firesheets on to talk to us about volunteers, recruitment, culture, and, well, all things related to volunteers. If you have not heard Justin speak, you need to stay tuned. He brings a wealth of knowledge on today's podcast. Plus, Justin and I talk about the oddest things that have happened to us in church. We have some good... um, shall we say, very funny stories to share, and you don't want to miss that. But before we get started, let's hear a word from our sponsors. Our main sponsor is Digital Great Commission Ministries. Whether you need help building a team, finding the right gear, or just better understanding the church tech world, DGCM is here for you. Because they are a 501c3 donor-sponsored organization, they come to your church for free and do an assessment of your tech, visitor engagement, and online streaming. Plus, we give away free gear. Be sure to go to audiovideolighting.com and register your email today. This will sign you up for all of the free giveaways and give you first access to everything we offer for free. If you want free resources, training, or consulting, contact Digital Great Commission Ministries today by going to audiovideolighting.com. That's audiovideolighting.com. Today's church tech tip is about a service called Phone Live Streaming. This is a unique service that will help you connect your stream to your attendees via the telephone. Let's face it, a lot of people can't get to the internet to watch or listen to your service. This product caught my attention for not only that reason, but also for language translation as well as a few other applications. So I reached out to David Plappert from Phone Live Streaming to ask him if we could secure a demo of this product. David, Welcome to the Tech Arts Podcast. David, it's glad to be here. I'm glad to be here. (laughs) Two Davids. You're a David, I'm a David, it's all David. Power of David. 100% David. All right. So tell us a little bit about your product and how it helps churches with their stream. Yeah. So uh, let me start off by saying, hey, it's awesome to be here. Thank you for having me. And um, also with this is a complete accident. I'm an accidental 
founder, accidental uh, product. Um, but we've been live streaming in our church for, you know, since Moses parted the Red Sea. So during COVID, we figured out that a lot of our rural, less privileged, homebound, um, elderly saints actually weren't connecting to our live stream because they either didn't know how to, they were scared to, um, or they just didn't have internet. And so um, I built this little phone thing uh, for my church, and it just blew up and took off. Well, so you say phone thing. Tell me, how does the church connect their stream to your product? Is that easy or is it is it difficult? Yeah, so uh, a, a little bit about me to, to help set the foundation here. So I'm a uh, IT guy at a small rural church, right? So anything that's got electricity running to it, uh, I've got my fingers in. So uh, I couldn't have another um uh, program, application, software, hardware, something that I had to run. And so the big key for me with this is it had to be automated. And so what we were able to do is once you install phone live streaming, which takes about 30 minutes, using RTMP, HLS, or Dash, if you have Resi, um, send us at the destination, and then from service to service, it's exactly run the same, um, even from before you buy phone live streaming. Uh, so it's run the same before and after. Uh, it just takes about 30 minutes to install one time, and then you're off to the races. That sounds very easy. This is very similar to like streaming to a destination like Facebook or YouTube or any other destination that you would stream to. You just, you're just streaming to phone live streaming. That's it. That's it. Yeah. Tell us exactly what are some of the applications for the product. Yeah, so um, let's dive into a little bit of our, of our pillars. So one of our pillars is this RTMP HLS dash automation piece, right? So anytime you, you go live, your church service goes live, your phone system gets audio uh, from that live stream. So with that, when you sign up, we will assign you a toll-free phone number. So what that means, anytime you go, you go live, you have a dedicated toll-free phone number now that has audio on it from your live stream. Um, then we take that and we automatically archive it so people can call in after the fact. But the real magic sauce here is what we call live notifications. This is where people can subscribe or you can subscribe people from your CHMS system or import them or uh, whatnot. And any time that you go live, uh, they get a phone call from this toll-free number, and all they have to do is answer the phone. So your church goes live 10 a.m. Sunday morning. Their phone rings 10 a.m. Sunday morning. Hey, you know, XYZ Church is live. One second, while we get you connected to the live stream, and they're on, they're listening, and your volunteers, your staff did absolutely nothing. No mute mania, no software to start or manage, nothing like that. And I think you mentioned this earlier, but people can call in as well, right? Yeah, yeah. So it's, a, it's an actual phone system that we operate in the cloud for you. So you can see here in this demo account, uh, this phone, there, there's a phone number here that's listed that um, any outbound calls, these live notification calls will come from, and that people can also call into. So if you're on vacation, you know, I'm normally in service, but I'm on vacation and I'm traveling out, you know, and cell service is on and off again. It's real easy. I can just call in for that week or two. I'm on vacation um, and, uh, you know, not have to be worried about getting a phone call every Sunday. Well, you know what's what's really cool about this product, and I'm sure you have some people using it this way, but Spanish translation or language translation, I feel like I'm just kind of watching how this works, and it would make it really easy for somebody to call in. You could promote a phone number, and they can get like a Spanish translation or a different language. Are churches using it that way? Oh, yeah. So funny story. When, when we started this, I had a customer sign up four times. 
And um, as a developer, the first thing that came into my mind was like, hey, something's wrong with the system. Like, you know, so I get try to get the customer on the phone. I'm like, hey, you know, I'll clean this up. I'll reverse the credit card charges. I'm so sorry. And, and, and the, the, the guy on the other was like, no, 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 stop, stop, stop. I wanted four lines. And, and I was like, why in the world do you want four lines? He said, uh, we're a mega church out in the Carolinas. We just invested 10 grand a piece for four languages like six months before COVID hit. And that equipment's worthless. He said, and, and we're literally paying pennies to operate your system. And the amount of features that your system has um, just is, is way above and beyond what our stuff is. Uh, the, the, the big benefits with phone live streaming is the on-site and off-site experience are the same, right? So I can be at home. I can be in Florida. I can be in Canada. And the experience, whether I'm on-site, off-site is the same. Um, and I can broadcast from on-site or off-site. Um, so if you have an, an off-site team that handles the, the, your uh, translation broadcasting or if you have different campuses, right, you can uh, – that all works um, seamlessly for your listener. Uh, the other big thing is bring your own device, right, especially with, with COVID. Um, you don't want to be sharing earbuds, right? I can't tell you how many times I've, I've walked into a church and seen, you know, you put the body pack on, shove the earbud in, and then you look at the manufacturer date. It was eight years ago. You know, can you imagine how many ears that's been stuck in, right? That's Anyway, moving on. <laughs> yeah, I, I completely understand that. That's disgusting. But you, <laughs> your product allows them to use their own device. It allows them to listen to the either a translation or hard of hearing assist or whatever it is. Uh, they can promote it on site or off site. It's it's really cool how it's set up. And I have a question here. You guys asked me uh, to ask you, and that was about daily devotionals. Tell me a little bit about that. Yeah, so th this is another one of those things where um, you know I'm I'm learning um, about this kind of uh, as we go, <laughs> and uh, we had another church buy two, three, four phone lines, and they were telling us that um, they started rolling this out for a weekly devotional type product. So they have. Um, about a five to 10 minute call every uh, Wednesday morning um, and they get their entire church on the phone, right? So you got a least common denominator. It's the most interrupting type of notification, which is a phone call um, and they can do it live. And because of phone live streaming, they can do sim live, right? So they can do like an MP3 recording, record a month or two in advance, queue them up and they go out uh, for this particular church. I think do it like 645 um, every Wednesday morning, it goes out to everybody and it's sim live. So they can sit down in a studio for you know a couple hours and, and knock out a quarter's worth of, of content. Um, and people get to hear from their leaders and it's just a real quick sync for everybody, um, in your church, which I think is a really cool idea. But then in the past uh, six months to a year, we've seen a lot of churches really pick up on that. Um, and it's, it's sometimes it's a, it's a prayer focused, but it's normally about five to 15 minutes. Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. Normally, it's early in the morning. I've got a couple that do it during lunch break, uh, and a couple that do that kind of thing later in the evening. Um, but yeah, I think I think that's a really powerful, really cool ideal to uh, connect with everybody because everybody's got a phone. So tell me a little bit about auto scaling and the stats and analytics that come with that. So with the the Spanish or with the translation stuff, um, a big piece of it is is stats, right? So normal. Uh, translation systems, you count how many body packs are out. Um, with our system, you can tell who listened, how long they listened, and then it auto-scales, right? So most churches have some type of conference or seminar that they do maybe once a year or whatnot. Um, and so you maybe have 20 or 50 Spanish people, but during that conference, uh, Spanish conference, you'll have 500 or 1,000, right? And so trying to get body packs and, and rent them or whatever you got to do with the system, it just auto-scales. 
right? So if you got 20 from Sunday to Sunday, one, you know, Friday through Sunday, you've got 500. Okay. You just pay for that usage for the, those couple of days. Uh, you literally don't have to do anything different and, and it, it just, it just works. How do they get their hands on this product? They just go to the website. Yeah, so we've got a free trial. Go to phonelifestreaming.com. Sign up for a free trial. Uh, we've got demo. You can sign up for a demo. We'll, we'll walk through it, walk through your specific use case. Um, but, yeah, our goal is just, just to help. If we can help at all, let us know. David, I want to thank you for showing us this product. I really think it will help the church community. I also want to thank you for sponsoring the Tech Arts Podcast. Phone Live Streaming is now an official sponsor of the Tech Arts Podcast. Matter of fact, we are branding our studios, my little cave here that I broadcast from. We are calling it the Phone Live Streaming Studios. So cool to have you guys sponsoring us. So make sure you check them out at phonelivestreaming.com. David, thanks for joining us today. Hey, David, thanks for putting up with me, and I enjoyed chatting with you. All right, let's jump into the podcast subject. Today, we are talking about volunteers, and we have on an amazing guest who will help us understand volunteer recruitment and, well, all things that have to do with volunteers. Our guest today brings a wealth of knowledge because he has been on staff at Church of the Highlands since early 2009. For his first 12 years on the team, he served as the production director, overseeing all of the events, teams, and production infrastructure for more than 20 Highlands locations, including the broadcast campus in Birmingham, Alabama. In early 2021, he shifted into a new project manager role, working with IT and the technology teams to oversee the network technology components of construction projects and capital infrastructure initiatives for the entire church, including Highlands College. He loves training and investing in ministry leaders from across the world and enjoys sharing his experiences through online articles, public speaking, and on-site coaching. I am so pumped to have this man on today's podcast. So without further delay, please welcome to the Tech Arts Podcast, Justin Firesheets. Hey, Justin. Hey, buddy. How are you? I'm doing good, man. I don't... I don't know how it's going in your neck of the woods, but uh, I got to tell you, it's ice mageddon here in Texas. And like, if a little piece of ice falls and hits the ground, they shut everything down. I mean, everything. I don't know. I've been stuck in the house for three days. There's a little bit of sun coming in. It's kind of great. But how's it going over there in Alabama? Yeah, you know, we're the same way with bad weather. Uh, if it drops below 40, a lot of times they'll just proactively cancel school and work for like, you know, a week. Uh, everybody runs to the grocery store so they can get their milk and bread for their milk sandwiches uh, or, or whatever people do with milk and bread now. I, don't, I really don't even know. But uh, even, fortunately, we haven't had any icy precipitation. Everything's bigger and better in Texas. We'll let you guys figure that one out, and then we'll just uh, That's funny. We'll follow your lead. Well, I have a relative in Alaska, and it's like negative 10, and they're walking to school. So it tells you. Right, but are, are they walking to school uphill in the snow both ways? You know, is it one yeah. of those kind of stories? I don't know. It, it makes Texans feel like we're just not strong enough, you know. It, like, it's 31 degrees. Oh, my gosh, cancel everything. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it is fun how everybody responds differently to weather. I mean, I, there are people that I know that would be wearing shorts, you know, in 30 degree weather. They think it's great. So whatever. Uh, I'm, I'm More power to them. That's not me. That's not my flow. See, I'm wearing, my, I'm wearing a hoodie today. I mean, that, that tells you what, uh, what kind of weather I like, you know. You know, you and I haven't been doing church for a long time. I started when I was 11 years old. So I think that, oh, my gosh, 
I think that puts me at 35 years. That's that's crazy. But we've seen a lot of odd things in church. So I'm curious, just to kind of kick this off with a little fun note, what's what's the oddest thing you've seen in church? I've got a couple stories, but I'll let you go first. Oddest thing I've seen. Um, well, something funny. Uh, so every year we do uh, an at the movies series like a lot of churches do. And um, typically in the children's area, they'll have people dress up in themed costumes, you know, just to kind of make it fun for the kids. And uh, I was fortunate to see security camera footage from one of our campuses where a couple years ago somebody was dressed up as a minion and got, uh, I don't know if they locked their knees or got lightheaded or what, but you see the minion standing there and then starting to wobble and circle, and then the minion just goes straight backwards and collapse, and you know, passed out on the floor. And it was it was hilarious to watch on on camera after the fact. The person ended up being okay, uh, but y- you just don't expect to see a minion pass out in church. Uh, it, but it was it was quite the story. It was fun. Minions in church. Well, I got two. I got a pulpit story, and I have a bathroom story. So, which one do you want me to tell? Uh, let's do the pulpit story because you promised me that you would never tell that I was the one in the bathroom story, that you would never embarrass me in public. So so they're both pretty quick. But the pulpit story is uh, I had a pastor who um, came out and you know how a lot of churches that, you know, somebody brings the pulpit out. And in this particular case, uh, the pulpit did not make it out. And so what was kind of funny about it is the pastor walked out and he just acted like the pulpit was there. He just put his stuff up there and dropped it and hit the ground right there. And everybody just kind of started laughing. That's the epitome of passive aggressive uh, behavior regarding the pulpit right there. Yeah. And of course the pulpit came running out right after that. Like, where do I put it? Your stuff's in the way. Nice. The bathroom story. I'll tell you that one. It's, it's pretty quick. So a pastor came out, uh, you know, I'm working with the church A pastor comes out to the, to the pulpits, gets there. And then he has this look on his face and he goes, I'm sorry, I got to use the restroom. And he just walks off the platform. And the tech team, everybody's like, what What do we do? And the audio guy thought, oh, okay, well, we'll just throw some music on. So he throws on some jazz music and we're like, uh. <laughs> well, hey, just as long as he remembered to mute the microphone. Uh, I've got another good story. So the February, uh, the beginning of February marked my 14th year on staff at Highlands. And um, it's always fun to think back my first week on staff. Okay, I'd been, it was maybe like my third or fourth day. I ended up flying um, on a, a private plane with our pastor and one other staff person out to visit Life Church out in Oklahoma City. Um, our pastor was a member of their board of overseers at the time, and uh, they uh, brought him out there for like a quarterly or annual meeting. And so I was asked to go along on that trip uh, just so I could do some networking. And I had, I mean, I was brand new in the church world. I'd come from a completely different industry. I knew nothing about churches or I didn't know what a life church was. I didn't know who Craig Groeschel was. I'm, you know, like everything is flying at me a million miles an hour, you know, in my first week here. And I'm still trying to figure some things out. So we go out to life church and spend the day. We're hanging out with people. I was introduced to some folks and I'm taking a lot of notes on things that I pretend like I understand. And then afterwards, uh, Craig uh, offered to drive us back to the airport because he wanted Pastor Chris, our pastor, to see um, a recent property that they had acquired and turned it into another campus there in the Oklahoma City area. And so he's driving us in his SUV to the airport. And we detour, we go past this campus, and I'm sitting in the back behind Craig. And he asked uh, the other person, you know, that was on the trip, so what do you do? You know, and she answers. 
And then he kind of looks at me in the rearview window and goes, so Justin, what do you do on the staff? And so I historically, for better or worse, I've always been quite the Weisenheimer. I am a, a smart aleck. And in my younger years, I didn't really know when to flip that switch on and off. And so he asked me what I do. And I said, well, I'm Pastor Chris's stunt double. I do all of his body stunts. And Pastor Chris is sitting shotgun in the front seat, and he gives me this quick look over his shoulder. The mom look, right? <laughs> before quickly interjecting, uh, no, we just hired Justin, brand new on our staff. He's going to be leading our production teams uh, for our campuses. And Craig goes, oh, okay, great. And they just move on to the rest of the conversation. I hadn't, the, the plane gets back in Birmingham. I had not been on the ground more than 15 minutes until my boss calls me. And my boss just happens to be Pastor Chris's older brother. And he goes, did you happen to say something that embarrassed Pastor Chris when you were here with Craig Groeschel? I was like, well, it's entirely possible. Let me tell you what happened. Uh, and that's when it started to kind of sink in. Mm, maybe maybe I need to do things a little bit differently, you know, moving forward. Needless to say, that was the last time he and I have ever traveled together. It was a fun way to get my feet wet my first week on staff. And I survived, you know, 14 years later. I haven't been fired yet, which is a great That's career. awesome. Well, I was thinking your first week you were on staff, your second week you were a volunteer. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Shortest tenure ever, you know. Yeah. Well, speaking of volunteers, let's talk volunteers. Um, I know uh, you know a little bit about this subject uh, because of the amount of years you've been uh, over the production uh, at Church of the Highlands. And even in the role you're in now, you know, there's, we're always interfacing with volunteers. But I'm curious, how many volunteers um, did Church of the Highlands have? Well, I mean, when I was in production at our peak, we had probably a little over 500 active volunteers, and that was spread across, you know, 20 plus campuses at the time. And then probably another 300 or so in some stage of the training process. So they, you know, had begun onboarding and they were going through and we were, you know, doing weekly trainings with them. They just hadn't graduated that process yet. So maybe a peak of 800-ish were somewhere in the pipeline. The church as a whole is incredibly volunteer heavy. We probably now, all campuses combined, probably run about 20,000 volunteers across the board on the weekend. You know, that's to help pull off 75 services and to lead, you know, 4,500 small groups during the week and, you know, outreach events and all this kind of stuff. So it's not just service-related roles, but it's all kinds of stuff across the board. You know, we really encourage people to find an area where they can uh, use their gifts and their talents and get plugged in and help make a difference, helping the church function each week. Well, I'm curious, you know, I know volunteers perform a function, they do a duty, they they come in and, you know, whether they're mixing or whatever it is they're doing with tech. But in your mind, why are volunteers important to the church? What what goes beyond that? I'm, you know, I know on my heart, uh, volunteers are much more than the people who just help or do things. So, but talk a little bit of why they're important to the church. Yeah, and I, I think what historically has happened with volunteerism as a whole is uh, the way it kind of works is somebody at some level of leadership says, I have a vision, I have something that needs to get accomplished, and I need people to help make that happen. And so either because, you know, people, you know, they may feel compelled or obligated to do it for whatever reason, well, I've got kids in the nursery, so I better go help in the nursery, or, well, if I don't do it, somebody else you know, I don't know if there's going to be anybody else or, well, you know, it, the pastor knows me, so I know he's going to call me anyway, so I might as well just go ahead and volunteer before I get drafted, right? So that's a lot of that mentality. Um, 
And that can end up being dangerous because if it continues under that cycle, it just make it can make people feel like I am only here to accomplish your vision and to do what you want to do. The only purpose I have is doing tasks for you. I am a means to an end. And I think where churches and a lot of churches over the last you know decade, let's say, have started shifting the paradigm with that. Uh, and really, what we emphasize at Highland, it's not that I as a leader have vision. God has placed vision inside of you. Like he created you for a purpose. His calling on you is irrevocable, like which means he created you and gave you something before you were born. That will never, ever change regardless of where you're at or, you know, what stage of life you're in. And so now it's our job as ministry leaders to help you find the things that God inherently created in you that you are good at, that you're skilled at, that you're interested in, that you're passionate about. It's our job as leaders to help you fulfill the vision. It's not your job to help do things for us. And so we now need to come alongside of you and figure out, okay, what are you good at? What do you enjoy? What is it that you wake up in the morning getting excited to do? It's, it's natural. Results come easy and everybody around can just tell that you're good at it and you're excited about it because of your attitude and the results that happen. We want to help you find that thing, whatever it is, and figure out how you can find a place in ministry to do that so that you now know, A, I feel fulfilled because I'm doing something that God made me to do, but B, I know I'm making a difference because I'm doing it in a way that's impacting the lives of other people. So really in the big picture, volunteers really help the church by focusing on what they are good at, because when I find my place on the team, I'm able to pour my gifts and my passions and my talents out, and I'm going to help the whole organization get better, which inherently is going to make the organization more attractive and more people are going to want to come and and be part of that for themselves. You know, So it's not just um, it's, it's like a cycle. So my job as a leader is to equip you, but you know that when you do that, you make the whole body healthy and strong and growing better, which in turn becomes attractive and more people want to come and find their place, which now helps things continue to grow. It's like a perpetuating cycle, you know, but we always have to be mindful of our roles in this. Again, as a leader, it's not my job to tell you what needs to be done. It's my job to facilitate your growth curve and learning opportunity and personal uh, path to figure out what you are passionate at doing and what you're good at. I'm just like the tour guide that's helping you find things and making sure that you get placed in the best seat to do that. And then I go repeat the process with somebody else. That's really how ideally that's really how the process should work in ministry. Yeah. And you know, what's interesting about what you said is in today's world, uh, a lot of young people um, are looking for that thing to grab onto. They're looking for where they're going to go. They're looking for a passion of how they're going to do it. And so what you just described attracts a lot of young people. Uh, so what's your viewpoint on teenagers and young people being in ministry? Because that vision that you just painted, that helping people know where they want to go and what they're doing really locks on to the young people. So I'm just curious, you know, what is your viewpoint on young people serving and volunteering? Yeah, you know, and I think the important part to latch on there is 
helping people find their their purpose and and helping them discover a sense of identity, right? You know, we see culturally now, especially in young people, there's a lot of confusion about who am I? What am I good at? You know, um, why am I here? You know, so many relationships and influences in people's lives are digital. I think there are a lot of people that are teenagers or 20-somethings that or on a quest of finding meaning in their life. They want relationship of substance. They want uh, influence of substance, like influencers to influence them. Like in substance, they want people to invest in them. You know, you look at, you know, families are, um, you know, are, are a mess in a lot of ways today. So kids need stability. They need somebody that cares about them. They need to know that they're in a place where they matter and they make a difference. Well, what better place to do those types of things than a church where it's a healthy environment you know, you would you would hope and dream, but it's an opportunity for people to really get a God-driven sense of purpose and identity. It's not what social media thinks I should do or what my friends think I'm good at, or it's it's not just a hobby, but it's a way for me to connect with my creator and understand why he created me and that I'm not an accident and I'm not a failure, um, but I'm defined by something more than the things I experience and do in my life. Like there's something inside of me that was put there before I was born, and it's going to shape me for the rest of my life. And if I uh, am willing to go through a process of discovering what that is, then I can have the most meaningful life ever. But I will never know what I was created for until I have a relationship with the Creator. And so that's why the, the uh, getting kids planted in church is so critical. And that's why um, you know I think it's incredibly important to try to find younger people that can get plugged into ministry. I've, you know, church for a long time historically would look at kids or teenagers and kind of shun them and push them off to the back. You know, you're not old enough. You're not mature enough. This is big church. You don't belong here. You're going to break the gear. Yeah. You know, we, we don't trust you. You're irresponsible or whatever. And so, you know, teenagers or younger can, can kind of get uh, stereotyped or labeled and, and pushed to the side. They're not even given a chance. And so they're missing out on an opportunity to do something of substance that can really help them grow relationally, spiritually, um, and so I think if a church can create opportunities to bring young people in, man, that's huge because you're not only helping them, but you're also helping create a multi-generational ministry because now it's the idea that if I'm teaching you how to do something when you're young and you enjoy it and you're good at it, maybe it stokes a fire that the older you get, the more you want to continue doing this and the more planted you want to be here and the more responsibility you want and the more influence you earn. And so now somebody that came in as a youth now has the ability to do this, you know, for decades in a particular ministry and and do lots of things. Maybe it stokes a fire in them of, hey, maybe I could try to do this professionally. I didn't even know this was a real job or a real career, but this is a lot of fun. Maybe this is something I want to look at doing for the rest of my life. And who knows if they ever would have come to that point if they hadn't gotten the opportunity when they were young. Now, I think um, what those boundaries is going to look different for every church. Um, You know, I've seen you know, plenty of churches post things about, you know, they've got, you know, grade school kids or middle school kids, you know, running a camera or pushing faders or helping with song lyrics. And I think things like that are great. But I think so much of that is situational based on what is appropriate um, and, and what works or what doesn't work. I think at the end of the day, you know, you really don't want to have a hard 
you know, age or cap or restriction per se. We kind of always did things as like, you know, you need to be like like 14-ish. But really that was based less on age and more on maturity level. Um, because if somebody's going to be serving and, and doing this in tech ministry, they need to be able to pay attention. They need to follow directions. They need to take instruction from adults. They need to learn or they need to know how to respond to adults and how to communicate to them. Um, how to be polite and proper, and what behavior is appropriate or not appropriate, what's distracting, what you should do, what you shouldn't do, how to sit still, not to goof off, you know. And so there are things that, you know, there are kids that are 14 that are more mature than 22-year-olds, right? And so that's why you can't really put an age limit on it, but it's more of a situational maturity thing. Is this person able to handle the responsibilities and the correction that comes with this? Can they handle the feedback um, and, you know, there are lots of uh, parents that have their kids help them out, which I think is great. I mean, that's a built-in accountability system right there. But if if there's not somebody that's clearly able to kind of keep the kids under control, maybe that changes the environment. Um, one thing we always have done uh, here is we created kind of a, um, like, bylaws, so to speak, of how we were going to handle minors on the production team. We put together, like, a list of policies so that if anybody underage ever had an interest in the team, we could give this to the parents and say, here are the guidelines we are operating on. You know, um, we uh, and you get to speak into this. Like when it comes to scheduling your child to serve, do you want us to contact you directly, the parent? Or do you want us to contact the child? Because the child has to have reliable transportation. And we know that may fall on you. So who are we working with? Do you want us texting your child? Or do you want us only emailing so that there's a constant digital paper trail? Or do you want us to run all communication through you? Um, if we ever have to have a corrective conversation with your child, there will always be at least three people in that conversation. So it's never a one-on-one. -on -one. There's always going to be witnesses and accountability. And if it's a uh, if it's a female underage person, there will always be a female adult in the room to provide accountability for that as well. Uh, we're never going to... Uh, give your child a ride to or from the church. And so if transportation is a problem, it's not okay for you to reach out to us. We want to put boundaries on ourselves and protect any remote perception of impropriety or whatever. And so we're going to put some guardrails up and how we manage you know, children and teenagers. And you as a parent get to speak into that process as well based on what you feel comfortable with and what you want us doing. And so that gave the parents kind of a sense of comfort of, Hey, you know, these people aren't going to take advantage of my kid. They're not going to expect unreasonable things. I'm going to get to speak into the process as a parent. You know, they're looking out for our best interest for our family. And so those were some guardrails that we put in place in any ministry that's looking at using, you know, underage uh, uh, volunteers. I would definitely encourage you to do the same thing as well. Unfortunately, there have been so many things happen in churches and even in society as a whole that, um, are improper um, or, you know, can can look weird. And I think we owe it to ourselves and our team and our broader organization to make sure we're doing that in a healthy and accountable way uh, when we work with, with younger people. Yeah, I mean, I think the bottom line is we want teenagers involved. We want them to be in our ministry. I mean, look, I'm a product of that. A, a gentleman came alongside me, put his arm around me and said, hey, do you want to do tech? 
And he gave me a vision and painted a culture of a team and a group that I just wanted to be a part of. And it set me up for literally a career, number one. But number two, I have been a part of the church and have been following Jesus Christ my entire life. And if you are a parent and you want your kid to follow Jesus Christ, and you're just like, what do I get him involved in? He's not really the worship person who wants to be on the platform. You know, he's maybe a little bit of an introvert. The tech teams are a great place and a great group to get them involved in uh, and kind of take them to the next level, not only professionally, but to tie them in uh, to what the church is doing. But with that said, I think training and development comes along with this. So talk a little bit about training with volunteers and how that's important. Yeah, you know, because at the end of the day, as a leader, again, it's my job to set you up for success. You know, every time you serve, I want you leaving thinking that was awesome, that was fun, that was a great group of people. Um, I felt confident in what I was doing. I felt like I did a good job. I'm looking forward to coming back next time and doing this again. Well, people aren't going to have those feelings if they don't know what they're doing. You know, they're going to get scared. They're going to freak out. They're going to think it was the worst day of their life. I'm never coming back because this is too much stress and anxiety. And so as a leader... Not only, you know, so in every way, I owe it to them to set them up for success. And that's not just with training, but it's also communication. What are the expectations? What time do you need to be here? How does this work? What do you need to be looking out for? Um, But I think, unfortunately, and there are various reasons behind it, a lot of times people just get thrown out there. It's like, you know, yeah, whenever whenever you want to start, you know, just come and, you know, come on Sunday and we'll put you in a position. And we expect people to kind of jump into the pool and figure it out on their own, right? Yeah, first week up, they're on ProPresenter. Go for it. Have fun. And, yeah, and and, and I understand why that happens because there are ministries that just need people. I, you know, I need as many people as I can. Um, or I just don't have the margin or the personnel to actually do one-on-one dedicated training. So I can't give you somebody to sit with you and help you. I just need you to figure it out. Um, But unfortunately, there's going to be, you know, uh, like a a ripple effect that comes from that. It's one of the, you know, uh, Newton's laws of physics or whatever it was. Every action has an equal and opposite reaction, right? And so throwing somebody into the deep end, it might work. But it also might not work. It might backfire spectacularly. And because I didn't invest in that person the right way, we've missed out on an opportunity. And now something they thought they wanted to do, that they were excited about, that they were good at, now maybe there's lies of the enemy coming at them saying, you're not any good at this. They don't even want you here. See how little they cared about you know, how good you were doing. They don't even care about you and your feelings. They were willing to let you stress out and freak out and panic over this. Why should you want to be part of a team that treats you like that? You don't even need to be part of this anymore. So I don't want people leaving feeling those things, feeling like what they thought was a calling in their life was maybe just a bad burrito from the night before, and they you know, <laughs> misinterpreted this feeling in this gut, and now yeah. I'm not going back. No, I don't want them feeling that way. No. And so, again, it's my job as a leader to set them up for success, which means sometimes I've got to – I have to be the one to carry the freight to figure out how to make that happen. So does that mean – I need to find other times during the week that they can come in and I can show them some stuff. Do I need to put together some documentations, uh, you know, some some documented training things that they can look over or read or learn? We we did what we call training benchmarks. So whenever people came in, regardless of who was leading their training, 
regardless of which campus, you're learning the same things everywhere. That way we're creating some kind of a standard for what you need to know to be on ProPresenter. You need to know how to import a song and you know change a slide from a foreground to a background. You need to set a timer and you need to know how the hotkeys work. You need to know how to navigate the library and whatever else. We're making sure that people are following that process everywhere. This is critical for multi-site churches so that whenever people attend your service, it feels the same everywhere. Well, it's only going to do that if everybody has been held to the same standard for how training works. I mean, you know, they, they make a Chick-fil-A sandwich the same way in every city in America. It doesn't matter whether you're in the South or the North. I don't, I don't know. I think the Texas Chick-fil-A's are a little, I think they're bigger. <laughs> I think they're actually bigger. And everything's bigger in Texas. That's perfectly That's right. You can, you can keep yourself. Yeah, absolutely. B- bigger chicken tenders. I mean, it's just all of that. Um, and I, will I think say that, tenders is McDonald's. So well, the, sorry. The, the Chick-fil-A uh, chicken tenders are better than nuggets, in my opinion. That's my, that's my hot take. Um, but no, your point is true. Like, you know, you want consistency. And one thing that I say when it comes to recruiting is, um, you know, most people, when they come into churches, they look up to their pastor. They look up to the worship team. And so there's a fear that they're going to let them down. And I think one of the biggest things with training is not necessarily teaching them every single knob and every single fader and perfection, but helping them get comfortable with what they're doing so that you decrease that fear of, I'm going to let my church down. I'm going to let my pastor down. You want to decrease that fear. That's the number one thing for me with training is decrease that fear. And then there's some practical things, of course. Yeah. And, and also in, in tying in with that as the leader, I have to learn how to appropriately give feedback. So people are going to make mistakes. You know, there's never... Uh, going to be a perfect service, except for that one time the Babylon Bee posted the article about it. You know, there was that one guy that finally hit every pro presenter slide perfectly on time, and it was the perfect <laughs> service, right? Um, yeah. You know, so th- nothing's ever going to work perfectly. But how am I going to have that conversation with my team? That's critical. You know, when certain mistakes happen, do, do I have to correct it in the moment? Or is this a conversation that we can have later on once the intensity of the moment dies down? Now, maybe we do have to talk about it now because if we don't, things coming up next will get derailed. But there may be other things that we just we just let things kind of we get things back on track now, we get it moving, and then we can cycle back to it later once everybody's emotion intensity has dropped down. You know, we've calmed down from the the struggle of the moment and now it's easier to have that conversation, you know. Um what we sometimes struggle with as technicians, you mentioned earlier, many of us might be introverted and many of us also may not really enjoy confrontation. And so if somebody drops the ball, it can be hard knowing how to have that corrective conversation with somebody because I might be uncomfortable having that conversation, but I'm also probably scared to death that if I say the wrong thing or say it the wrong way, I'm going to push you away. And you're not going to want to keep serving. You're going to say, well, if you're going to tell me I didn't do a good job or that wasn't any good or whatever, then I don't need to be on this team. And so now I let that fear direct me. And uh, now I just avoid the conversation altogether. Or I'm so afraid of how I'm going to feel that I put my personal comfort ahead of your development. It's more important for me to feel comfortable and not awkward by addressing this with you. Uh, than it is for you to learn and grow through corrective conversation, you know? And so what we do then, we perpetuate this cycle of ineffectiveness where because I never had the conversation with somebody or I never clarified the goal or the standard to begin with, 
and I'm unwilling to follow up on it, we now just keep repeating unhealthy or ineffective behavior over and over and over and over and over again, they might think they're doing a great job. I think they're dropping the ball. My pastor chews me out every Monday in our recap meeting because the ball got dropped again. But it all stays below the surface with me because I'm so afraid of addressing it. And then at some point over time, boom, it's just this volcano. And now I tell Bob, hey, Bob, sorry, our pastor says you can't mix anymore because he doesn't like your mix. Well, why not? Nobody ever told me that my mix wasn't very good. Yeah, our pastor, I mean, yeah, he's been telling me for the last few months that um, it's just not good and it's just not getting any better. And so we can't have you mix anymore. What? You knew for however many months that I wasn't doing a good job and you didn't tell me this. And now I'm getting fired because the pastor's mad. Blah, blah. So I, I have now unintentionally created this mess and I've now maybe angered somebody or alienated them from the team in the church just because I wasn't willing or able to have the conversation that should have happened six months ago. You know? Yeah. Feedback and tracking is, is really important. Feedback to your volunteers, running to the conflict, that's, that's really important. What you're saying is dead on. Yeah. And, and when I have those conversations, you know, it's not about, it, it's not so much about the action. It's about what's behind the action. And so I'm not going to just tell you what you did wrong, but let's try to create a dialogue here where we can walk through the thought process. You know, were you confused about what to do? Um, did you forget about a certain thing? You know, what? like, let's figure out what led to this moment because it may, they may have had a great thought process on why to do it a certain way. But I may not have communicated well enough ahead of time to set them up for whatever they were going to be doing. And so they didn't have all the information, you know. So maybe it's on me. When somebody on my team fails or they struggle or they make a mistake, as the leader – my first reaction and responsibility should be to look inwardly. Was there something that I did or did not do that caused this particular thing to happen this way? Could I have communicated better or differently, given them more notice, put it on paper, trained them better, whatever? What can I do as the leader? Because leaders own their environment. What can I do as the leader to help change this and set this person up for success? Now, maybe I've done everything I can. They've gone through all the training, They've been here and they still made a mistake. Well, okay, people are human. Sometimes they're going to make mistakes, but let's figure out why. And then let's figure out how do we keep it from being a pattern? So that's where we want to have the conversation. Okay, we dropped the ball. This wasn't very good. Let's talk through it, learn from it so that next time we're confronted with the same situation, we know how to do things differently. You know, so I'm not just throwing you out there to figure it out on your own. I'm not avoiding you or ignoring you, but we're partners because I want them to see me as somebody that cares about them as a person. They're not a cog in the machinery that I'm willing to throw out as soon as they make a mistake. I care about them as a person. I want to invest in them. I want to come alongside them. I want to help them grow and get better. And so I'm going to partner with them on this journey of trying to get better and, and hit whatever the target is. And I'm going to own my part. I'm not just putting it all on them. And so they're going to see me owning my role and they're going to think, hey, if they're willing to invest in me, then I should be willing to take a couple steps of my own and also be willing to get better and learn from this. Yeah. Let, let's talk about recruitment a little bit. You know, when we say churches are are taking people and just throwing them on to ProPresenter and to camera and to audio and so on and so forth, I think some of that has to do with the pandemic and volunteers are just not coming back to churches how they used to, how they used to. 
But in the past, churches really didn't have to recruit as much. People were kind of wanting to jump into the vision. They were wanting to jump into the church. And now they're struggling a little bit to get volunteers, number one, to come back and to also recruit. So with recruitment being a big question, what's your philosophy behind uh, recruitment and how to recruit volunteers and something that may be able to help churches now that we're post-pandemic and, and trying to get people to come back and volunteer? Yeah, and, and I, I know there are a lot of churches struggling with that. I hear about it all the time. You know, people just got comfortable staying at home, watching online or getting disengaged or disconnected. Uh, and that just kind of became their comfort level or their new normal, you know. Um, and so I know this is something that a lot of senior pastors and senior leaders struggle with for the church as a whole, not just technical ministry, but in every area. You know, how do we inspire or motivate people to come back? And I think a lot of that, again, has to do with how can we make this part of the culture of who we are? It's not just we need people to do things, but if you disc like we're all part of a spiritual body, just like a physical body. If I remove a piece of my body from the rest of my body and disconnect it, it will stop growing, it will shrivel up, and it will die. We are the same way relationally. If I get disconnected from a spiritual body, if I'm not contributing and if things aren't feeding me, then I am going to, over time, shrivel up and die. That's just a natural uh, byproduct of, you know, of, of kind of isolating ourselves. You know? So uh, churches from the top down have to be able to package that in a way that people understand it and understand the need to be part of community. But I think the big thing uh, for, for technical teams is that word community. You know, for the two and a half years, people were isolated. They, they weren't doing a lot in person. Maybe they're working from home. They're not traveling. The type of vacations they took were limited. You know, maybe they couldn't do certain, you know, behavior, behaviors and activities. And so whatever social circles that we had and community that we had pre-pandemic, that all got really redefined. And I think this is a prime opportunity now for ministry teams to really focus on rebuilding the idea of community on their teams. And what can we do outside of Sundays to build this as a group that people want to be part of? Can we socialize with each other? Can we go to dinner? Can we get our families together? Can we go bowling? And I'm not saying the church has to pay for this, but what can what opportunities can we try to create where people want to be part of that? Like, like how can we turn our technical ministry into a small group where people are actually doing life together outside of the weekends, you know, and where people know each other and their hobbies and our, our spouses know each other and our kids play together. Are there ways to facilitate that? Because when I look, when, when I know it's a fun environment and I look forward to seeing the people that I, that I serve with on Sundays, I'm going to get more passionate about being part of that. And it's also then going to make it easier for me to relationally recruit other people in my sphere of influence and say, hey, why don't you come and do this with me? We hang out. They're a lot of fun. These people are like us. I think you would have a great time fitting in with them. And so now I'm able to organically grow the team by bringing in people that I know just would enjoy being part of the community. You know, let's take people that enjoy each other and then figure out how we can find different roles for people to fill, you know, instead of, oh, I, I only need technical people. No, you don't. Our team needs non-technical people to help it be better. You know, like we can use all kinds of spiritual gifts. You don't even have to be technical to be on a production team. You can have the gift of hospitality 
and, you know, and just be that person that loves to open up their home and invite people over for a potluck dinner. Or you can have the gift of, you know, administration and organization, and you're the one that handles scheduling and keeping track of, you know, projector lamp hours or, you know, whose turn it is to swap out the batteries in the belt packs. Like, there are ways for you to do things that help the team, even if you're not a technical person. We just want you to be part of the community. You know? Yeah, I think I think that word community hits the nail on the head. Um, we would do movie nights uh, where everybody would come to a movie night um, and and just enjoy the movie. Uh, a night out at a restaurant where we would bring a small group uh, to a restaurant and so on and so forth. Uh, we even did one where we did a Texas Rangers game where we invited everyone uh, to the Texas Rangers game. I was blessed uh, to be able to have a, a leader who said, hey, I think this is important. And he invested in our volunteers, uh, a certain segment of them, not all of them, to come to a Texas Ranger game. You got to do more than just tech. So I think that that's important that we do things outside of the church. And like you said, outside of the weekend. So speaking of Texas Rangers, what's your favorite sport? Oh, I'm a baseball guy, man. Hardcore. Absolutely. Me, me, me and baseball are like you and blue button down shirts. <laughs> you know, I wore this just for you, man. I, th- I, you know, I got up today and I said, I've got to wear a blue shirt. It's like Absolutely. kind of an in- it's an inside joke with uh, Justin and I. Everywhere I've spoken with him, I've always been in a blue button down shirt. So now, whenever I, now I make it a point to be in a blue button down shirt wherever I go. But knowing the person, knowing the volunteer, I think is also key uh, to that culture. Knowing what's going on in their life, knowing what's important to them, asking questions and kind of understanding that, I think is very key. Uh, in 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 terms of recruitment, you know, in terms, you know, if if you have a volunteer meeting where you're asking people to come serve and you say, hey, look, here's some fun things that we do. Maybe you even ask them to fill out what are some things that you like to do so that you get to know out of the 30, 40, 50 volunteers that you may have, you get to know about them a little bit more. Yeah. And, and I think um, that is is part of what helps building that community sense is people know that there's other people on the team that know them as a, and, and care about them as a person. You know, they they know about what's going on in my life. They're willing to pray for me. Um, you know, they you know, I'm not just somebody that shows up and fills a spot, you know, yeah, once a they're week reaching out to me, whatever, yeah. you know, like people are really invested in me as a person. And I think anything we can do, um, you know, even things as simple as just taking prayer requests during a pre-service meeting and then just making a note, you know, during the week to follow up with some of those people. Hey, how'd that job interview go? Hey, you mentioned your kid was sick. Are they any better? Doing things like that adds so much relational equity um, because those people know now, okay, these people leading this team care about me, you know? So now when I have to give a difficult ask as a leader, you know, I need a last minute help or there's a challenging situation, Maybe it makes it easier for some of those people to step up because they feel like, hey, this person has my back because they care about me as a person. And so I'm going to I'm going to do something to have their back. You know, I'm going to, you know, do something to go above and beyond to help them out because they've done so much for me. You know, and, and maybe we are able to build that kind of relationship where, where we are really looking out for each other there. Yeah. And you've mentioned, you know, this person has done something for me. I'm going to have their back. Is it, is it important to have someone on your team that's relational, that's that's reaching out to people, like, say, a volunteer coordinator? Is, is that important to have that role on your team? 
Yeah, in my in my mind, it's critical, you know, because and especially because many of us as technicians are not naturally people people. You know, some of us are very good at being relational uh, and we enjoy texting with people or hanging out with them or going to lunch. But others of us are not gifted in that area. We're much more comfortable, comfortable being around the gear. And just because that's our comfort level, that doesn't mean that I don't have to address the relational side of what our team needs. It just means I now need to find somebody whose skill set complements mine uh, because, you know, one person can't have every spiritual gift. That's just not how it works, right? And so I've got gifts and talents at a certain thing. Now let me find other people that can come alongside me in this journey and bring a different side of what the team needs and they can use that to invest in other people on the team. So just like I was saying that you don't have to be technical to fill certain roles on a team, it's absolutely true on the relational sense. You know, it may be, you know, a spouse or, you know, somebody that normally serves on the greeter team and is just real outgoing, but that's somebody that can just be a breath of fresh air that just comes in and hangs out with people and high five and they can text them during the week or send an email or whatever. You don't have to be technical to pat somebody on the back and say, hey, Bob, it's really good to see you again. I'm so glad you're on the team. How's your wife doing? You don't have to be technical to do that. But I may be running around with my hair on fire trying to get ready for a service with last minute changes, and I'm not even thinking like that. But I need somebody who is thinking like that, where that's just naturally where their mind lives, and they can now add that flavor to our team. Because if, if you have a recipe and you leave an ingredient out, yeah, you can still cook the meal. It's just not going to taste as good. Just like with a team. Yeah, I can leave out the relational ingredient into building a team. Is it going to be as good as it would have if I didn't have that in there? It's not going to, you know? And so that's when I need to be able to find somebody that can bring that to the table and help us out. Yeah, I, I always think it's the most important position on your team to have that relational person and that coordinator. And what I say to churches is when you don't have that position, you will find yourself hiring more and more people in a bad way and hiring them in a way to say, I'm going to force you to be on the team. I'm going to force you to be here every weekend. And I'm not saying that hiring people is bad. I think having staff members for certain positions at at a church is, is a good thing and a healthy thing. Um, but if you don't have that relational person, you will find yourself hiring more and more positions because you're just having to force them to put up with the stress and you're using money to do that. And so that's one thing that I'll say to churches and pastors. I'm like, just kind of be careful because I don't see this relational component. You may drift more and more towards this hiring uh, thing, which can become unhealthy if the entire team is paid, you know, the entire team's contract or whatever it is. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I think uh, it's amazing what volunteers can accomplish. You know, a lot of times we will sell them short. Oh, well, they can't do that. They're just a volunteer. Oh, they're just not capable at that level. I completely disagree. Um, I think sometimes that can be, um, this may come across harsh, but I think that can be an easy cop-out if I am not willing to spend the time to put together an effective training process and a healthy culture of investing in relationally in people. When I don't have those two things, then yes, I am convinced that hiring is my only option. Uh, But if I have the ability to train people and show them what to do and hold them accountable to a certain standard and walk alongside them to help them get there, and if I can build an environment that's fun and enjoyable that they want to be part of, 
then absolutely the sky's the limit. We're going to have people that love being here and love doing what they do, and they're going to want to learn and grow and take on more responsibility and gain more influence because they can feel themselves getting better and they feel empowered to make a difference and they put their head on their pillow knowing that they did something that mattered and it was fun and they can't wait to go back and do it again. But if I'm missing those pieces, then absolutely, I'm going to feel like my only option is to pay people and, and, and compensate them for always being available because we don't have the other critical pieces in place to help them get where we need them to go. Justin, man, it has been uh, awesome having you on today. But, oh, hey, I got a question for you. Yep. How many stadiums have you been to? So I'm trying to get to all 30 major league stadiums. I've been to 20 of the current ones, uh, plus yeah. 10 that have been torn down or the team no longer plays in. So, uh, you know, two thirds of the way through on the new ones, you know, trying to you know, slowly work my way through that list. But that's one of my bucket list items. Um, I actually my, my so you being a, a Texas guy, a Dallas guy, the first time I got to see their new state, their brand new stadium was during the pandemic baseball season when the uh, NLCS was played there between the Braves and the Dodgers. It was a neutral site. Uh, National League Championship Series there in Texas. And I was fortunate enough to get to go there. It was funny. I, I got to see games there before most of the Texas Rangers season ticket holders did, uh, just because That's there awesome. were some of those postseason games there. Um, and then was able to get a, see a regular season game there uh, last year, which was a lot of fun too. Great ballpark uh, and, and great food. I mean, that's always the best part of going to a ballpark is the completely unhealthy ballpark food. You know? <laughs> yeah. Well, I need to strap on a blue shirt and we need to go see a baseball game sometime. Love it. Let's make it happen. I know you speak at conferences and you do on-site coaching. If someone's interested uh, in you speaking or coming to help them, uh, how, do, how do they get in touch with you? Yep. So the best way is just email, uh, which is my last name, firesheets, F-I-R-E-S-H-E-E-T-S at Church of the Highlands with an S dot com. So it's an incredibly long uh, email and uh, and domain, but uh, that's it. Firesheets at Church of the Highlands dot com. If anything, I love building relationships with folks that are in the church tech community. Um, and so, if anything, it's it's always great to meet people uh, that are out there, regardless of anything else. I mean, I feel like it's critical for us to have relationships with other people that understand what we do. Uh, you can learn something from anybody, regardless of church size or experience or expertise. And so I've always enjoyed being able to build relationships uh, with people from all across the country. Uh, it's one of the best things we can do as, as, as church techs is build our own little network of people that we can lean on. You know, community is important for our volunteers, but it's important for us as technicians as well, because I need people that understand this world, can help me solve problems, uh, can give me feedback. Um, people that I can be friends with and can learn from. And so it's it's critical for all of us to find people uh, that we can have in our relational circle. Well, if you want someone to help your church get better, make sure you reach out to Justin. Again, that is firesheets at churchofthehighlands.com. Be sure to contact him today. Hey, Justin, before we wrap up, I want to honor you by saying you are a gift to the technical arts community. Your insights, wisdom, and leadership are cherished and valued by all who have heard you speak. Well, I appreciate that, man. And thank you so much for what you do, not only through uh, Digital Great Commission Ministries, but also with this podcast, helping to get resources in front of people. Um, you know, I, I think there uh, we, we need all the help we can get. We need people with wisdom and experience and understanding that can help give us guidance on things. And I appreciate your investment in the community, helping to get those tools out to people that are, that are looking for those things. So thank you for what you do as well. 
Well, thank you, man. It's been a blast having you on today. Thank you for being here. Absolutely. And I hope you stay warm. (laughs) Thanks, man. Well, that wraps things up for today's episode. I can't wait to talk to you on the next Tech Arts Podcast. Until then, I'm David Leuschner signing off by wishing you a great day and praying God blesses every moment of your week. See you soon. You have been listening to the Tech Arts Podcast presented by Digital Great Commission Ministries. DGCM is a 501c3 nonprofit that was started to help churches with all things technical. Whether you need help building a team, finding the right gear, or just a better understanding of the church tech world, DGCM is here for you. Find out more about our free on-site visits, reports, and consulting by going to audiovideolighting.com. Digital Great Commission Ministries will help you run your church service like a pro. Find out more at audiovideolighting.com.